vacation. Call him the great pretender. You know, there's no vacation from God. If you vacate, you ought to do it with God because he makes vacation better than anybody ever could have. Had some great reading time because I wasn't having to dig for messages. Read a lot of things I've been wanting to read. One of the things I began reading was about the kings in First and Second Kings and then uh, the Chronicles, of course. And one of them jumped out at me that I want to talk to you about today. And I'm going to call him the Great Pretender. His name's Rehoboam. We're going to read about Rehoboam. Uh, our text is going to open up with Solomon. And what he built or what he, what he, he, he built or fashioned shields of gold. We're going to read about that and then look at what happened with Rehoboam. But let's read. Uh, and King Solomon made 200 large shields of hammered gold. Can you imagine that? 600 shekels of hammered gold went into each shield. I know you don't know what a shekel is. I'm going to tell you in a minute. And he also made 300 shields of hammered gold. 300 shekels of gold went into each shield. So you have 200 large shields, 300 smaller shields made of 24 karat beaten gold. How many of you take just one of those shields? Just one. All right. Uh, now it came to pass. Look what happened. We're jumping ahead. Solomon has died. He left these golden shields in the house of the Lord. It says, it came to pass when Rehoboam, who was his son, had established the kingdom and had strengthened himself. So now you've got Rehoboam taking over the kingdom. And it says, look what he did. Read it with me. He forsook the law of the Lord. Bad idea. Anytime in any life. Never forsake the Lord. Amen? Because bad things happen when you do. Look what happened to Rehoboam. <clears throat> and of course, being the king, all of Israel followed the leader. They all forsook the Lord. And it happened in the fifth year of King Rehoboam, when he thought everything was cool, suddenly they were invaded by a guy named Shishak. Anybody in here named Shishak? Just want to be sure. Because I think it, some people call him Shishak. Shishak, it doesn't really matter. We're never going to know him. But Shishak, king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem because why? Read it. They had transgressed against the Lord. So an enemy got in. And look what the enemy did. So Shishak, king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem and took away the treasures of the house of the Lord. And then he went to the king's house. He invaded the house of the Lord and he invaded the king's house. He attacked houses, the house of God and the house of the king. And he robbed it. Look what he did. He took everything. Everybody say everything. When you leave the Lord, the enemy is able to come in and steal. Now, look what he made a beeline for. He also carried away the gold shields which Solomon had made. Father, I pray that today you'll speak to us and I pray that you will help us to never experience a robbery in the house of the Lord or in our own homes like Rehoboam did. Lord, let this be a house of gold, the golden things of God. And thank you, Lord, that the enemy will not find an easy path here because we lean on your word. Now, pray with me and say, Lord, protect my house from being robbed. And speak to me today in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, perk up and listen, you're going to need this tomorrow. All right. Now, here we're reading about a man named Rehoboam. It's interesting that the kingdom divided one day and went into the kingdom of the north and the kingdom of the south, Judah and Israel, and I'll talk about that in a minute, but they all had kings. Judah had 19, six were good, the rest were evil. Israel had 19, none were good, all were evil. But we're reading here about Rehoboam, who was Solomon's son. He was not just Solomon's son, but of course, he was King David's grandson. According to the Bible, Rehoboam was a fool who forsook God. I like that the Bible tells the truth about people in it. And he had inherited everything that a man could dream of, incredible wealth, unequaled political power, worldwide fame, and a life of incredible luxury, all handed to him on a silver platter, given to Rehoboam. Yet, here's what we find about Rehoboam. He possessed none of his father Solomon's wisdom, none of his, the godly character of his granddaddy, David, didn't have any of his character, and had no personal walk with God. That's clear. Now, once he ascended the throne, following Solomon's death, he could easily have won the heart and the loyalty of the people in Israel very simply. Because here we find that, among other things, Solomon had very onerously taxed the people. They were weighed down with financial burdens from being overtaxed on a level they just could not live with. And when Rehoboam took the throne, then the people came to their new king and said, hey, take some of these taxes off of us. All he had to do was say, you got it, and they would have loved him. How many of you would love somebody that took some taxes off of us? In response, Rehoboam first consulted the older men who had advised uh, Solomon, his dad, and asked them, these men of wisdom, men of maturity, what they thought he should do. And here's what they said. It was very good advice. Second Chronicles 10, 7 says, They replied, If you are kind to these people, and please them, and speak good words to them, they will be your servants forever. Well, Rehoboam the fool, the foolish son, rejected their wise advice. Instead, here's what he did. He turned to a group of his drinking buddies, his peers, and said, here's what the people are saying to me. What do you say? Last thing you want to ask is your peers. Look for people who are older. We older people have some wisdom. I can't believe I just said that. <laughs> so here's what the drinking buddy said to him, quote, well, Say to the people, whereas my father put a heavy yoke on you, I will add to your yoke. My father chastised you with whips, but I will chastise you with scorpions. Not a great way to win friends and influence people. So that's what he told the people. And Rehoboam followed the wrong-headed advice of his foolish friends. And when he repeated to the people what his friends had said to him to say, it was the straw that broke the camel's back. At that moment, 10 of the 12 tribes of Israel defected and the kingdom was divided 
from that day forward into the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah and the people who God had intended to be one people consisting of 12 tribes was divided. And it was a bad testimony. It's like when a church splits or uh, some Christian organization divides. It's always a bad testimony. But for the people of Israel, this was really bad because 10 tribes walked away, leaving only Judah and Benjamin to comprise the kingdom of Judah. And the other 10 went off to comprise Israel. And the Bible says that God sent judgment on Rehoboam. First Chronicle or Second Chronicles 12 verse 5 says, Then Shemaiah the prophet came to Rehoboam and the leaders of Judah who were gathered together in Jerusalem and said to them, Thus says the Lord, You have forsaken me and therefore I also have left you in the hand of Shishak. And that's the way that God dealt with his people over and over again in the Bible. And what I believe is the way God deals with nations today. When a nation forsakes the Lord, he allows an enemy to come in to bring a rebuke and a chastisement. And with Israel, he did it over and over and over. Read the book of Judges. That's all they experienced was repenting, getting right, and then backsliding, and then God sending in an enemy, and then again repenting and getting right, and then backsliding, and God sent an enemy. And that was always the pattern. And it was the pattern now. Here comes Shishak, the king of Egypt. As a result of Rehoboam's godless lifestyle, God allowed this pagan king of Egypt, Shishak, to invade Judah and he stole the golden shield Solomon had made that we read about in our text. He went straight for the gold and he went straight for houses, the house of the Lord and the house of the king. Now let me talk to you about these shields for a moment. The Bible says that Solomon made 200 large shields, body length, and 300 smaller shields, all out of 24 karat, pure beaten gold. I'd just like to see one of those. Based on the weight of the shields given in Scripture, we can surmise the large shields were worth about $100,000 each in today's gold prices, probably much more. And the small shields were worth around $24,000 a piece. One small shield, you go get a car. That means the 200 large shields were worth about $20 million. The 300 smaller shields came up to about $7 million. So approximately the golden shields just in the house of the Lord were worth $30 million. They weren't even for battle. They were for show. Shishak came in, went straight to the house of the Lord. Isn't that interesting? This pagan king didn't mess with the houses of the people. He went straight for God's house. His target was God's house. He wanted the treasures of God's house. But the theft of these shields involved way more than the loss of money. The shields represented God's blessing, God's glory, God's favor on his people. These shields bespoke of Jehovah God, who they claimed to be their God. You see, God raised up Israel to testify to the entire world of the living God, of Jehovah God. They were to be the Lord's testimony, his witnesses to the entire pagan earth. That's why he raised up Israel. 
And one of the ways that God showed that he was with them in the Old Testament, not necessarily in the New Testament, we get that confused, but in the Old Testament, he showed his presence by the prosperity, the financial prosperity that he sent to them. $30 million worth of gold shields just sitting there. And when Solomon would enter into the house of the Lord, when he would walk down the road to the house of the Lord, they would bring these shields up and they would line the highway to the king's house. And everybody saw the favor, the blessing, the evidence of the presence of God on Israel shining, gleaming, glittering in the sun, $30 million in gold shields. But then they were stolen. These lost shields are a physical picture of a deeper spiritual truth. You know that I tell you all the time that the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. The New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. When you see something like this in the Old Testament, there is a spiritual parallel. There is a message for us in the New Testament. What did it say when these shields were stolen? And why were they stolen? Because the enemy came in. Why did the enemy come in? Because Rehoboam had compromised and forsaken the word of the Lord. So God said, you leave me, I leave you. And we wonder why our schools have become murder zones. We wonder why Satan is stepping all over the United States school system. Well, guess what? When you tell God to get out, you open the door for the enemy to come in. That's just a principle of life. It's an inescapable fact of life. Shishak taking the shields away was symbolic of the loss of the glory and the blessing of God on Israel. He took the gold away. God's blessing and favor were gone. We might say that Shishak walked away with Israel's testimony. And when the people of God lose their testimony, they lose everything. You can't be influential for God without your testimony. So when he came in and, and, and took away these golden shields, there went the testimony of the presence of the glory of God. He gutted them. Now in this story, the spiritual parallel for you and I is Shishak represents our enemy, Satan. Jesus said that Satan came only to steal, only to kill, only to destroy. When Satan comes knocking on your door, when he tempts you to go do something you ought not do, when he attacks you in one way or another, there's only one thing in his mind, to steal, to kill, or to destroy, or all three. He's a destroyer. Our enemy, Satan, hates you, hates me, hates the human race because God loves the human race. Jesus came to defang him. Jesus came to defeat him. Jesus made an open display of Satan. He made a fool of the devil. He led him captive. Now, I respect the power of Satan, but I don't fear Satan because I know that the power of death, hell, and the grave were destroyed by Jesus Christ on the cross. But nevertheless, we have to be very wise. And here's the principle that we need to see out of this story, that when we disobey God, we allow the enemy to come in and steal away our treasure, steal away the golden shields that Jesus died to give to us. Jesus died to give us some golden shields that nobody else has. And the enemy wants them. If he can't keep you from the cross and keep you from salvation, then he wants to ruin your Christian life. 
He wants to corrupt your Christian life. He wants to see to it that your Christian life does not become influential for Jesus. For instance, he'll rob you and I of the golden shields of our joy and peace. The greatest testimony, listen, what a, what a shield of gold is the joy of the Lord. What a shield of gold when somebody walks into church and hears a whole bunch of golden shields of joy held up with the sun of God's light and love glittering and glistening and gleaming off of that joy. When you walk into a restaurant after church today, walk in with a smile on your face because you've got the joy of the Lord. Jesus did not come to bring you death or to ruin your good time. He came to give you life and that abundantly. That's a shield of gold. He takes away the shield of gold, the shields of our testimony and our effectiveness. He robs us of the shield of the power and the anointing of God. All golden shields given to us by Jesus. Our salvation is a golden shield. The Holy Ghost living inside of us is a golden shield. Victory over the flesh and the world and the devil are golden shields anointing to minister the word power to live this christian life is a golden shield and when the enemy attacks he goes straight for the house the question is what are we doing to prevent such a thing and if it has happened to us what are we doing to get the gold back because i want you to see today as we look at rehoboam in just a moment he was nothing like his granddaddy david If he had had those golden shields stolen, David would have gone to God and said, how did this happen? And then he would have said, how can I get them back? And he would have gone into spiritual warfare. And he would have gotten his men together. And he would have said, we will not sleep, we will not eat, we will not rest until we get the gold back into the house of God. That's David. But then we have Rehoboam. I want you to look at Rehoboam's response to this national tragedy of this robbery of the house of the Lord. Rather than seek to get back the gold, Rehoboam became the great pretender. Second Chronicles chapter 12, verse 10 and 11 says, Then King Rehoboam made bronze shields in their place and committed them to the hands of the captains of the guard who guarded the doorway of the king's house. Do you see what happened here? Rehoboam said, well, the gold's gone, but that's okay. I really don't care about the gold. What I do care about is appearances. Rather than repent, rally the people, and seek to get the glory back like his grandfather David most certainly would have done, he ordered that brass shields be made to replace the gold shields. In other words, Rehoboam cared only for appearances, not for God's glory. He cared more about perception than reality. He cared more about the opinion of men than he did the opinion of God. He was a man of symbolism over substance, perception over reality. He was willing to trade off truth for pretense and show for the real thing, the real thing. He said, I don't care about the real thing as long as I can convince the people I've still got the real thing. Doesn't matter to me if it's gone. Because after all, it's perception that that matters, not truth. That's the spirit of our day. As a matter of fact, the spirit of our day is the spirit of Rehoboam. We're always trying to impress people 
trying to make them think we've got something that we don't. It was a really bad trade on Rehoboam's part. Did you know that I looked it up? The decorations in the royal palace went from the value of $30 million to just over $5,000 in today's brass prices. He traded $30 million for $5,000. Bad trade, bad business. Any way you want to look at it, that's a bad business deal. But he didn't care. He didn't care about this pitiful downsize. He didn't care. Rehoboam's claim to the world and to all the people that were looking to him as their king, he said, we've got the glory. But they didn't. It wasn't gold. It was phony, fake brass. Looked like gold, shined like gold, glittered like gold, but it was not gold. And he knew it, and those around him knew it. The kingdom didn't know it. It was not the real thing, the genuine article, the bona fide item. It was a fake, a phony substitute. Rehoboam was more concerned with saving face than getting the blessing back. Brass shields are what men create to hide their failures. They are the outward sign of inward refusal to repent and reclaim the true glory, blessing, and presence of God. See, if you're going to have the real thing, that's going to require some repentance, some transparency, some humbling, and seeking of God, but it is so worth it. Gold is the result always of repentance and humility, but brass is the result of unrepentance and pride. Brass shields must be polished by the strength of the flesh to look like gold. They must be kept up by the sweat of man to be able to pass for the real thing, but gold needs no polishing because it is pure. We church people often resort to brass tactics, brass shields, when spiritual dryness sets in. You have a church or a life that starts going through dryness, and maybe it's through some sin or some compromise, and here's where Rehoboam rises up inside of us and inside of churches. We say, well, uh, yeah, I'm dry, and yeah, there's some compromise, but I really care about what everybody thinks, so we're very busy producing brass shields. We replace God's anointing. Here's a good one. God's anointing with endless activity. We think, well, if there's a bunch of activity, it looks like there's an anointing going on. So everybody stay busy. Do this, do that, do, do, go here, go there, go yonder. Get this program going and that program going and stay busy, 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 busy. And it'll look like there's an anointing. For a while, it looks like the real thing. But eventually, the brass becomes clear. We replace God's power with polished performance. Or we replace life with religion. For a while, that may work. It worked for Rehoboam. As far as I know, it worked to the day that he died. As far as the mass of people understanding the truth, we're told that whenever the king entered the house of the Lord, the guard would go and bring the brass shields out. So he would go into the house of the Lord, and here they would come from these, with these brass shields, just like they had done for Solomon with the real gold. And they would line the, 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 the street on both sides with these brass fake shields lining the way to the king's house, and the people never knew. This is because whereas the gold shields had always been on public display, the brass shields can only come out on special occasions, lest the truth about them be discovered. 
The gold shields, if you were in Israel in the days of Solomon, you could go and look at them at any time you wanted. They were open for anybody to see. But when they created these brass shields, as soon as the king was done walking into the house, they took them and they walked them into a place where they put them under lock and key and you could not go and look at them on your own. That's because when the truth prevails, it's open for everybody to see. But when a lie is in the mix, it must be hidden away. A lot of hiding going on these days. A lot of hiding in the church, a lot of hiding in our government. Now here's the message for us Christians. Every day, people willingly trade something of great value for something worthless. See, that's, that's where the enemy is at his best. When he tries to convince us to trade gold for brass, the real thing for the phony, the genuine for a fake substitute. And, and he'll make brass look good and try to get us to make that trade. He did it with Esau. He did it with Abraham. He did it with different people throughout Scripture. Did it with King David. Brass for gold. And if we're not careful, we'll make a trade. Something that God gave us. Something that is from heaven. Something gold. And we'll trade for something that is worldly. Something that is from the enemy. Something that is fleshly. And it's only brass. And, and I'm, I'm preaching this today because, listen, I want a church filled with gold. I want a church filled with the real thing. I want a church that is loaded down with the real blessing of God. As a boy, we would have called it fool's gold. First time I ever found fool's gold, pyrite, fool's gold. I was walking down some railroad tracks, about seven years old, and I spotted it glistening in the sun. And I said to my friend, we're rich. I grabbed this fool's gold and ran home with it. My dad smiled, looked at me and shook his head and said, son, I hate to break it to you, but that's fool's gold. Are you calling me a fool? Yeah. It's fool's gold. Israel was always trading in the real thing for fool's gold. I'm going to tell you something, folks. There's gold and there's fool's gold. There's the real thing and there's the phony. And I am so ready for the real thing. I want the real thing. I want Jesus and him crucified. I want the Holy Spirit and power. I want that cross and the blood. And I want to preach heaven and hell. And I want to declare the real word of God cover to cover. I don't want brass. God's looking for churches that are cleaving to the gold, refuse to let go of the gold, have got the gold under lock and key. Jeremiah told Israel, has a nation ever changed its gods? But my people have exchanged their glory for worthless idols. Israel had taken the glory of God and traded it for brass. Now, let me, let me share with you three golden shields we must never let go of. Three golden shields. Here they are. First, the gold of God's genuine presence. I want the presence of God. There's no mistaking the presence of God. People will go for miles and miles to a barn on the far side of a cornfield if the presence of God is in that place. I don't know about you, but I'm tired of hype and I'm tired of people saying there's revival when there's not. I want the real thing. I want the gold. The brass of programs, the brass of pageantry and pomp and splendor can never replace the gold of God's presence in his church. 
Rehoboam's kingdom looked good to the casual eye, but it was actually hollow, empty, vacuous, and sad. That was the truth because anytime you embrace brass for gold, it leads to leanness of soul. And so are many people today and churches and religious organizations and individual ministers who have lost the gold through sin and compromise. It's a sad day. I know what it is to lose the gold. I know what it is to wake up one day and realize you've been robbed. And there is no ache like it for a child of God to wake up and realize that you have been robbed, that Shishak has visited your house and what you used to have, you don't have anymore. That walk you used to have, that anointing you used to have, that, that way with the word of God you used to have, that fellowship you used to have. Somebody has invaded your home and taken it and you wake up and there is an ache in your soul and there is a cry in your heart and there is a lifting up of your voice to God saying, what has happened? My message today is, even if Shishak has taken the gold, you can get it back. You can get it back. Far too many people who once enjoyed the real gold are busy making brass shields to save face rather than repenting and doing spiritual warfare and being a David instead of a Rehoboam and going to get it back. I want to be a David, not a Rehoboam. Rehoboam is a phony. Rehoboam is a fake. But David was real. And even when David lost the gold, he said, bless God, I'm not going to sleep until I get it back. A second golden shield we can never trade in for brass is the gold of a genuine, genuine, real walk with him. We can't lose his presence and we can't lose the walk with him. There's always the danger, and I've seen this, there's the danger of learning the motions so well, knowing the right things to say, the right moves to make, that we wind up presenting a show like Rehoboam when it's not real in here. So you're not what you are out here. You are who you are in here. We Christians get so busy with the work of the Lord, we forget the Lord of the work and lose touch with the very one we're claiming to serve. The Bible says that one day, I love this story, Jesus entered a village and a woman by the name of Martha. How many Marthas in here? You don't even, well, I'm not asking real Marthas, (laughs) but Martha, like what we're about to read about. Let me read about her, then I'll ask the question again. My name's not Martha. Jesus entered a village, and a woman by the name of Martha welcomed him and made him feel quite at home. She had a sister, Mary, who sat before the master and gasped, hung on every word he said. She was a fanatic. But now look what happened. Martha was pulled away. Everybody say with me, pulled away. She was pulled away into what she thought was good. She was pulled away by all that she had to do in the kitchen. Later, she stepped in. I can just see her face stepping in there. She's red in the face. There's steam coming out her ears. Her brows are furrowed. She's mad at her sister. And she says, Master, don't you care that my sister has abandoned the kitchen to me, leaving me to do everything? Tell her to lend me a hand. Then Jesus said, Martha, dear Martha, you're far too worried and getting yourself all worked up over nothing. 
One thing only is essential and Mary has chosen it. It's the main course and it will not be taken away from her. And Martha was shut down on the spot. What was Jesus saying to Martha? Spend time with me. Abandon the kitchen. Can I give some of you ladies here a word? The husbands may not like it, but sometimes you need to abandon the kitchen. And go off into the prayer. Susanna Wesley had 13 children, I believe, 13 or 19? 19. Everybody say, that's way, way too many. God bless her. She had 19. She had nowhere to go. So she would put a towel over her head with all these kids running around. And there she would have her private times with God. And they knew, don't mess with mama when the towel's over her head. Get a prayer closet. Keep your relationship with Jesus intact. Jesus said it's the one essential thing. It is a shield of gold. We can never give up. Let me tell you something true. Here you go. If you give up your prayer times with God, your quiet times with God, you will backslide. It's not if, it's when. If you get out of the word of God and you get out of prayer and you don't set a time to be with God regularly, you will backslide. I would rather front slide And I front slide when I stay in the Word of God. And I keep my time with Him intact. You've got a choice, front slide or backslide. Jesus said, don't let the shield of your relationship with me be stolen away by Shishak. And then the last shield of gold we must never trade in for brass is the golden shield of personal integrity. Rehoboam gave up his integrity. He was one thing in front of the people and another thing when nobody was around. He was the great pretender, the double-minded man, the two-faced fake. When you saw him, what you saw is not what you got. Rehoboam was a phony religious guy. And there's a lot of those in the world today. All the Rehoboams in the world need to realize Choosing brass for gold is going to leave you with an empty soul. He had no thirst for God, and he was satisfied with substitutes. Phony substitutes. He had a settle-for life. I'll settle for carnality for commitment. Compromise for consecration. I'll settle for excuses for obedience. I learned a long time ago, when people tell you, I can't get to church for this and that reason, when those reasons go away, they still don't get to church. I think I'll meddle for a minute. I've I've been pastoring a long time, 28 years. And I learned a long time ago when people say, well, you know, as soon as my sick grandmother goes to be with the Lord, I'll be there. As soon as my spouse quits working so long, I'll be there. Soon as this and soon as that and soon as the other, I'll be there. But here's what I've learned. You will make time for what you want to do. You will be there if it's really in your heart. You will not come up with a bunch of... Listen, if you want an excuse to stay away from church, the devil will give you a hundred of them in five minutes flat. But let me tell you something. I watch football and I see Green Bay Packer fans standing in the freezing sleet cold with no shirt on, with crazy makeup on, with cheese sitting on their head, 
crying out for their team, screaming and yelling like maniacs, suffering pneumonia and death because they want to be there. Give us that kind of people in church, Lord God. Come on now. America's going to hell in a handcart. We're in a mighty spiritual battle. And if the horses have wearied you, where will you do in the swelling of the Jordan? We've got to get tougher than we are, stronger than we are, and say, if it's snowing, I go to church. If it's sleeting, I'm going to be with the people of God. I don't care. I will be there to add my strength and gifting to God's people. Period. Rehoboam lived a lie, paraded a lie, and died a great pretender. You know that we're never going to live a life of victory if we settle for brass. The true gold comes from Jesus who said literally, I counsel you to buy of me gold tried in the fire so that you can be truly rich. Can we stand together? Has the enemy stolen the joy of God's glory from your life? Has he stolen that shield? Has he tried to replace joy with pitiful substitutes? This morning, are you saved? Did you know that salvation is the greatest golden shield there is? And some people have religion, but they do not have Christ. They've got religion. They've got the brass of phony, fake, empty, hollow religion. But there's no gold. I wouldn't even go to the parking lot if I thought I needed to get right with God. I would not get on I-35 and drive anywhere if I thought I was not right with God. That golden shield is the most important thing we've got. A shield. It shields us from the arrows of the enemy. It declares that God's in our life. Are you saved today? Are you sure? And some of you used to walk with God tight and you've drifted. And I, I want to tell you, I know what it is to lose some shields and wake up aching in deep, deep pain of soul. But I also know what it is to get it back. Come on, David's in the house. Come on, David's in the house. And what, I don't believe there's a Rehoboam in here. I believe that God has put it in the heart of every person here to want God's best. <clears throat> Are you surrendered to him? Are you serving him? If not, why not? That brass is going to leave you empty. It may be a person, place, or a thing. But it's going to leave you empty. If it's not from God and of God, it's going to leave you empty. But you know what's here? There's gold here today. In the first service, we left a bunch of brass shields in the altar. 
People gave up brass for gold. So I'm going to ask you to bow your head just for a moment, would you? If you can say, Pastor Jeff, I used to walk with the Lord very closely, but I've drifted. And I want to get that back. I want that shield, that golden shield back. And I'm willing to humble myself and repent and say, Lord, forgive me for anything that allowed Shishak into my house to rob me. Or you're not sure you're saved. Don't leave today unless you're sure. You can say, Pastor Jeff, I'm in one of those two categories. Can I see your hands today? Put them up high, fast. Don't hesitate. I've, I need to get some gold back. Put them up high. I need to retrieve some gold. Many of you, I want you to do something. See, something's going to happen down here. I believe in prayer, and I believe in the altar. I believe in a step of faith towards God. If you can say, I want that golden shield back, the peace of God, the joy of the Lord, my relationship with Him, I want it back. I'm going to ask you to slip out and come right now. Slip out and come down here. Would you do it? Just slip out now. Why do I have to come down there? Because one step is a step of faith. And you're already trading brass for gold when you come down. Say, it's me. It's me today. And I need the gold back. You come now. As we worship, we're going to wait for you. And we're going to believe God to bless you as you come. In Jesus' name.